And we are your Super Motocross Insiders, Jason Wygat, Daniel Blair, here for another episode reviewing Monster Energy Supercross from Houston. There are no changes here. It's the same show, same host. But in the race, Daniel, in Houston, it looked like, ooh, there might have been a massive change in the horizon. It's funny you say that. During the middle of the main event, I was thinking, is this the race where everything changes? Because Chase Sexton's won before, so winning a race is not like, oh, he won, now it's a change. No, it's passing and beating Eli Tomac straight up that would have done it. He did it in the heat race. Main event comes around. You're thinking it's coming. He gets to the back tire. And then Eli Tomac just says, nah, I'm okay. I'm just going to go ahead and win this thing. So, yeah, what I thought was the changing of the guard moment, Jason, it just ended up not happening. You know, it's funny. Last summer in Pro Motocross, the Lawrence brothers were battling, and Hunter explained it like the Velociraptor in the movie Jurassic Park. It can keep learning new skills. So you figure out a way to beat it one way, and then it figures out another thing, like opening the locks on the door. I feel like that's what Sexton is dealing with. If you are faster than Eli Tomac, which is next to impossible, but if you can go faster than him, you could probably beat him. But now Tomac is smarter. Tomac gets hole shots. He keeps getting harder to beat. If I'm Sexton, I'm so sick of Eli Tomac. I mean, think about last summer. He just emerges onto the scene, crazy speed, puts it all together. Oh, but then there's Eli just to be right in the way of, of Chase taking over the class. And then here we are at Houston, uh, over a second faster than everyone in qualifying, smokes his heat race, here's the night. And then there's Eli Tomac to ruin everything. So I, in one hand, we're watching greatness. Eli is just finding new ways to just stay the man. But I got to feel for Chase just a little bit because he's got everyone else covered, it seems. But then there's just that Eli Tomac guy who just keeps getting better and and yeah, poor Chase. But there, Jason, there's so many things to talk about coming from Houston, the rookies, uh, some of the vets that had rough nights. But I think we should dive deeper into Eli Tomac and Chase Sexton. And why not do it with James Stewart? Time for the big interview. And this is going to be really good. We have James Stewart, who I could say is second all time on Supercross wins. But more importantly, it's just James Stewart. And he's giving us analysis every week on his Bubba's World podcast. So thanks for coming on the show. We'll be hanging this weekend at Tampa. Let's talk Sexton and Tomac. You dissected every week, including last year in outdoors. It's a great battle. What did you see between those two in Houston? Well, I saw a continuation of what we saw last year. Um, just Chase growing um, from, I guess, a guy that can win races to a guy that really can feels like he can compete for a championship. And it was, it was wild to see. Um, I was just talking about her here at Bubba's World on the show, was that I have never seen somebody be that much faster than the rest of the field. Like Chase at one point was like two seconds, second and a half faster than those guys all day long and not win. You know, I've seen, I've been in a position where I've been fast, that much faster and crashed or or something else happened. But out of all the races and people I've ever seen, I've never seen someone go from being that much faster to just literally getting beat straight up in the main event. And, and um, it was just cool to, I wouldn't say cool to watch him lose, but it was just cool to see Eli step up and and do what he does and why he has a red plate, why he's the defending champion, um, because he knew the only way he was going to win that race was by pulling the whole shot, and he executed what he needed to do to stop Chase. Um, but I was thinking about it after the race. I'm like, I've never seen that, like, that much faster and then win the race and got beat straight up. Yeah, so what changes? Is it the track changes? Is it just pure mental focus from Eli's side? But Everyone's looking for an explanation. Chase had a few, bad line in the sand, whoops were different. What do you think can change to go from the fastest guy to I did not win the race and I didn't crash? Well, I I really think it's just belief and mindset. I mean, I've, I've always talked about it here. Like, 
perception, you know, and, you know, Chase is really good at when he gets starts, he gets clean air. It's kind of like the NASCAR term. Clean air is good. And he's able to run his lines. And when he was fast in practice and even heat race, um, he was able to run his lines, you know, doing that. Well, running those lines will have you running the back of somebody, you know, when you're behind the people, uh, behind Eli and some of the other guys. So um, Chase went slower. You know, he was still the fastest person. I think he got uh, 52 flats and Eli was around that time. But he went from 50s to doing 51s all day in his sleep to running 52s in the main event. So uh, when the lights came on and it counted, Eli executed the whole shot, and I feel like Chase wasn't, he got a little bit flustered not being able to get around Anderson and, and even Plessinger, and I just think he, and he slowed down. And so when you watch the race, it wasn't like Eli went faster or stepped up. He kept riding like Eli was, but Chase was not able to, to um, execute and get around Eli because I believe if Chase would have passed Eli in the first five minutes, he would have won the race. If Chase would have whole shot it, he would have won the race. It would have a continuation of how the day went. But, you know, Eli was in front, and that was his only chance to win, and he was able to do it. Just talk about experience. You were on both sides. You were the young guy coming up, trying to unseat a guy like Carmichael, had tons of experience. And then later on, you know, Villapoto and Dungey come in, and you're the veteran guy. Talk about Tomac's role there and being able to manage races and what all that experience he has probably means in that moment. Yeah, with Eli, um, he's definitely banking on experience because – he wasn't the fastest person, um, but just as Cooper, we always talk about Cooper Webb and his determination on on being able to win after being like 15th in practice. Like there is a there is a point where you can overcome a lot of stuff, um, just making it will to make it happen. So I, I think with Eli, um, I, I, you could see he was a little kind of um, lost, I would say, after the heat race. And when he got on his um, podium interview in the main event, he just said like, "I just had to go faster." And, but I think he had a sense of if he would allow Chase to, to win that race, what it, the whole complex of the championship might have changed. You know, Chase is young. It's like when I was in that, you give me confidence on there and I know I got speed, I'm be hell and hell high water. Like I'm be tough to beat. And so Eli just kind of sensed the moment, just like he did in outdoors. Um, you know, sometimes you got to just step up and get stuff done. And I think with age and being able to go through all the things that he has, um, he was able to do that. Now, again, with Chase, he has speed, and he ended up second, so he only lost three points, and his championship's still wide open. He, he still can continue to do what he um, does. But I believe you give him another year, he would have beat Eli. He would have figured out how to beat Eli, and that's what I learned as I continue racing over time was, like, figuring out how to win even though situations were going bad. Like, I, if I didn't get a start, I was faster, slower, just figuring out how to win, and getting your kicked by Ricky Carmichael that many times like it gets old and you have to figure out how to do it and so Tom uh, with Chase he's better than he was last year and um, you know you just saw somebody who knew how to do it and somebody who's figuring it out as we're, we're going on and we have such a small sample size we're only a few races in I mean two races ago we thought it was going to be Webb versus Tomac for this title so are we seeing Sexton and Tomac getting away or do you think there's other guys in this group that we're going to hear from and it's not just going to be like it was uh, last summer? I still believe Cooper is going to be there. I still think Jason and, and there's going to be more guys that's going to have, you know, fights in there. Now, clearly Chase and Eli are the two fastest guys right now and they just, it's an easy continuation from last year, but I don't think it's done by alongside. I believe Cooper is still good. I believe Jason will still come up here. And once those guys get rolling, 
they'll be fine. So um, right now they're the class of the field, but unlike outdoors in Supercross, this Consadium in the confinement kind of keeps things together. And, and so I believe outdoors, you can just pin it and go as fast as you want and those two separate. So it might end up those two guys, but right now I, it's, it's a long ways from just being those two. Okay, James, love the analysis. We'll have more coming your way. We'll both be the host of our pre-race show on Peacock from Tampa this weekend at 6.30 Eastern. See you then, James. Yeah, see you soon. Well, that was awesome to hear from James Stewart. And if you want to get someone's analysis uh, on the two up front, he's probably the guy to go to. Uh, Jason, Houston Supercross was rad for me for one ginormous reason. It's all about the family. This kid, Jacob Mariner, wins the KTM Juniors. And then come to find out his dad, Alex, was literally the winner of the 1998 Minneapolis KTM Junior Supercross, which I just think that's insane. We've seen these riders come through like Osborne and, you know, the riders always on the podium like I did KTM Juniors. I think Deegan even said it. But now to have a kid win it after his dad won it in 1998, I, I think that says that the KTM Junior program is pretty strong when two generations can get it. Yeah, unbelievable. That really marks it. It's not the years on the calendar. It's the fact that we've gone through an entire generation. That's wild. Um, keeping on the family affair thing, Hunter Lawrence wins the first 250 East Heat race of the year for him. Not a surprise. And then uh, he goes into full salesman mode, even hooking up his brother Jet with the donut sales. Got these awesome rally towels. So if you're at the concourse, make sure you go get some Jets and donuts and you get yourself a rally towel. So. Okay, good job by Hunter winning races, selling merch, helping his brother's donut sales. For free, they had them in the press box the first couple races this year. I enjoy myself. Some Jets and Donuts. Okay, uh, we had news. Last week, we talked about the Super Motocross World Championship playoff schedule moving forward. Now the Motocross of Nations has moved forward to match that. So there'll be a short gap, which makes it easier for the American-based riders to compete. MXOM was supposed to take place October 22nd. It will now be October the 8th. So this is good for anyone that wants to compete. Well, speaking of Motocross of Nations, it looked like that 250 main event podium was going to be a Motocross of Nations MX2 yeah. final. I mean, you had Hunter Lawrence from Australia, you had the UK's Max Anstey, and then you had Tom Vial running third for uh, deep into that 250 main event. But uh, kind of tying the two in, Motocross of Nations and the international flavor at Houston, Max Anstey, Weege, 2017 won the Motocross of Nations, went 1-1. He's got endless eligibility in the 250 class. He didn't get a second because it was like a one-up. I mean, it looked the part. And he was on a team that's on the on the rise, that's building, but that was not a factory team. So, uh, again, probably an overreaction here, but I'm going to run with it. Max Ansi just rebuilt his Supercross career, and he's a 250 guy now. And I bet you by the end of the season, all the teams are going to be like, hmm, can we get out of Ansi what we got out of Craig? Just saying. Let's go back to the Sexton-Tomac topic. Everyone could see that Sexton was losing a ton of time in the sand section, including Chase Sexton himself. And this is interesting. Jason Thomas was filing a report for your TV show and Sexton shows up after the race. We have Chase Sexton and obviously this was one of the most pivotal sections of the racetrack. Now, when you're looking at it, you're able to stand here and it's not in the middle of the race. What do you see and what maybe should you have changed mid-race there? Um, for me, I was just struggling with these little, there's little ledges in the sand where it's kind of clay, where it's kind of pushing all the way down to the floor. And I was grabbing those and losing the front, and Eli was basically hitting this whole outside, kind of like sand sweeper southwick kind of thing. And I was tippy-toeing my way through the inside, which was not good. And now looking at it, I probably would have started outside and came across. There's a little rut right here. But middle of the race, it's really hard for me to find that. And I went outside once and almost fell. I'm like, I'm going back inside. So this yeah. is pretty much, this is basically the race right here. Yeah, Jason, I thought that was really cool. These riders do that a lot. They'll go look at the track and walk around with their team. But you don't 
you don't find a guy like that, especially a, a, he's a frustrated character. I mean, we've seen him so many times when he doesn't win the race, he's kind of bummed, but he's looking around and then there's JT and he's like, yeah, I'll talk to you about it. I'll, I'll tell you what went wrong and what I think could go right next time. And uh, that was rare, especially for a guy who I think is coming off a race that he felt should have been his. So uh, I thought that was cool. Dylan Ferrandis, I mean, J Jason, that was a really scary moment, just kind of going through those few minutes there at the race. But to find out afterward from the team, um, it was a concussion and that he's going to be okay long-term. And then of course he puts up his own Instagram post, shows another clip of the crash, which made it look that much worse. I, I think it was a, a, a better shot at what he actually went through. Uh, but overall, I'm just going to say big picture, him being okay and the team and him, you know, presenting that to everybody, it, it, that's a win for me because you don't want to see a guy go down like that. And I just hope that he's back and strong and he's back quick. Yeah, we're not downplaying the seriousness of concussions, but when you see someone with a neck brace on on the racetrack and, uh, you know, they're not even moving at all for several minutes, certainly the mind goes to even worse things uh, than a concussion, which he, we believe can make a recovery from. In the 250 class, there was so much hype on so many riders coming through the Supercross Futures program, uh, breeding more riders more quickly than we thought. Hayden Deegan racing Futures last week decides to make his pro Supercross debut in Houston. There's a ton of hype around Deegan, who's already a YouTube star, second generation with his father, Brian, who won a Supercross back in the 90s, and then Chance Hymas, and he's last year's Supercross Futures champ, and Tom Vial, the two-time MX2 world champion coming over from France. And I got to say, for rookies, they didn't ride like rookies. Daniel, we didn't see the yard sale crashes and mistakes that you expect from new guys. No, that was one of the better debuts for a class of rookies I've ever seen. And it'd be it'd be one thing if one was good, another one flipped through the net or something. Then it'd be like, eh, these rookies. But they were all good in their own way. Hymas was so good in his heat race and in the main event to be willing to put yourself up front with your teammate like that. I think that's huge. Vial running third for so long looked, looked so awesome. And then Deegan, as scary as a couple moments looked, he really kept it together when it mattered most and then had a little bit of help. That, that's that's fair. That's part of racing. But he ends up fourth on the night. So I, I think it was an unbelievable debut. And when we kick off the show, we introduce all these rookies. Hopefully it goes well. And it went well for all of them, including Justin Cooper. I got to throw that in. I was so surprised with what he was able to do late. Remember, he's never done a 20 plus one before in a race. And he looked as good as anybody in the last five minutes. So shout out to Justin Cooper and all the rookies. Well, as much as I hate to do this, Daniel, I have to give you credit. First, on the very first episode of this SMX Insider Show, you called out Bobby Regan and everyone at Star Racing and said, put Justin Cooper on a 450. The whole industry has been sleeping on this guy. We talk about Jet Lawrence. We talk about Hunter Lawrence, Joe Shimoda. Justin Cooper has been good in every pro race he's ever been in healthy. Everyone. I don't know what more the guy needs to do to prove himself. Now he gets on a 450, and we're all shocked that he was really good. He passed Ken Roxon on the last lap of the main event. Unbelievable. And the other thing I got to give credit for, you said last week Jordan Smith would win his heat race in 250 East, and he did. So the rookies did well, but veterans like Anstey, Lawrence, and Smith, they did better. Yeah, I have this thing, Jason. It's, I, I like to predict. And when I get things wrong, we don't talk about those things. And when okay. I get things right, we okay. really talk about it a lot every week. Double okay. down, triple down. So, uh, no, I, I, people are all laughing at me. Like, how did you get that right? How did I not? Jordan Smith is a, a guy who almost won the championship twice. He's healthy. He's on a team that does nothing but win with bets. It was easy to see. So, uh, I, to me, I'm, just, I'm more proud of him and happy that he kept it together, sort of. He still had one get off in the sand. But... Mm -hmm. Uh, he was awesome, and he and look at the look at the podium. You had Hunter, who is a vet now. I know he's a young vet; he's only been the past couple of times, but 
Anstey and Smith. I, those were veteran rides by those guys, um, which is why when the dust settled, they were on the podium in that 250 class. But yeah, uh, Jordan Smith. We want, want to mention one more thing with Eli Tomac, the greatness. We've already stated that, and it's now coming across in the numbers. Every week he has to answer as he gets closer and closer to Ricky Carmichael and soon possibly James Stewart's win record. Uh, but here's what's interesting about Tomac. He's such a nose-to-the-grindstone guy. He never wants to talk about it. He just always says, until I get there, I'm not going to talk about it. That shows how focused Eli is. He's not thinking three wins down the road or even two. He's there. There's a, there's a record this weekend, and it's kind of a big one. Ricky Carmichael, remember him, Jason? Remember that guy? He was pretty good at this sport, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Eli can tie him in the all-time Supercross win column this weekend in Tampa. Uh, it'll be fun to see if Eli can get it done in Tampa, right there in Florida, in Ricky's backyard. I think that'll be a funny tie-in, and it'll be even that much more fun to poke at Ricky with it. Well, as high as we are on him, Jason, I, I, I got I to gotta throw a left hook and a right hook a little bit. I thought Roxton and Webb were, were off of what we expected. Roxton was trending the right direction, 5-4-3, uh, backwards. And then for Cooper Webb, we're, we're thinking he's ready to make a run at the championship. And this night, I'm just going to say it's this night, but uh, he was not great. And then in the 250 class, Thrasher, Moseman, I, I thought those would be maybe the two to challenge Hunter Lawrence. Nowhere to be found. All 31 Super Motocross World Championship events can be streamed domestically. That's here in the U.S. on Peacock. So to subscribe, go to PeacockTV.com slash sports slash Super Motocross. And for the fans of Super Motocross, they'll have a chance to watch it all year long on Peacock, NBC, and USA Network. And for the international fans, you can join in the fun by getting the Super Motocross Video Pass. Go to Supermotocross.tv to purchase access to every moment of the 2023 Supercross season, the Pro Motocross season, and of course, Super Motocross live events in one place. Plus, get over 800 plus hours of archived races. Okay, it's time for Fowler's Facts. We bring in our staff data man, Clinton Fowler. And you know we're going to get right inside of the Eli Tomac versus Chase Sexton duel. So, Clinton... What are we seeing here? Is this changing the guard that we thought might be coming in Houston? Didn't quite happen yet, but it is coming to a head. Yeah, you know what, Jason? It really does seem like it's coming to a head. But let's take a take a look back at history. If you look back at the six series that these guys have raced against each other, 61 races in total, Eli clearly has the advantage. He's got two championships out of those six series. Um, he's got the 20 wins versus Chase's at eight wins. He's got 40, 41 podiums versus Chase's 27. So there's a clear advantage that Eli has over the full 61, but that's expected, right? Chase has been a rookie. But what's really interesting is when you look back at the 2022, at the start of the 2022 Pro Motocross season, all the way through Houston this past weekend, and you look at just how much progress Chase Sexton's made in competing against Eli Tomac. In particular, you just look at the wins and you realize eight wins for Eli and five wins for Chase. It's actually getting pretty darn close. Um, even better is you realize out of those last 16 races, and this one really caught my eye, guys, both of them have been on the podium 14 times. 14 of 16 times in the last, since the beginning of 2022, right? Oh, excuse me, the 2022 Pro Motocross season. So wow. pretty impressive progress from Chase X. Clinton, I'm watching the Houston Supercross main event, and I'm thinking this is maybe the changing of the guard. This is the race that completely flips everything, and Chase is now the guy. It's his turn. It's his generation. 
And then he like hit a wall. And, and I'm curious of what the wall was. Was it the Tomac wall? Was it the track wall? Because through qualifying in the heat races, it was lights out. But about halfway through the main event, something shifted. Yeah, you know what? You you nailed it, Daniel. Halfway through that event, we saw that shift. So you look at the progress that Chase has made and and it's obviously impressive. Uh, you look at his day in Houston, it kind of indicative of that. He goes out in qualifying. He is a second faster than everybody else. An impressive outing. He goes out in the heat race, passes Tomac, a full second faster. Clearly uh, a head and shoulders above everybody else. You gotta assume he's a favorite going into the night program. He gets into the main event <clears throat> and he, he catches up to Tomac. It's lap 15. It just looks like it's his race to win. And Tomac does what Tomac does as a veteran. He goes into beast mode and he ends up winning for the next five laps in two sections of the track. And in those two sections of the track, he makes up 2.6 seconds over those five laps. Those two sections, the whoops in the sand section. In the sand section, <clears throat> Tomac had been faster the whole night. He just got a tiny bit faster. So he went from being 0.2 seconds faster to now during those five laps, he's 0.3 seconds faster. But what's really interesting is in the whoops. In the whoops, Chase had been faster the whole race. But starting in lap 15, Tomac maintained his pace while Chase lost speed. So Chase went from going through there at 3.8 seconds down to 4.1. Tomac held at 3.9 seconds before and after. So amazing to see the progress that Chase has made. But the interesting part here is I think this is a Wiley veteran move. This is the Eli Tomac going into beast mode. Um, Eli just had it come the end of that race, and obviously that led to his 47th win. Yeah, just adaptation. Even Eli said, I didn't ask for any bike changes after the heat. It was on me to get better. I asked Sexton about the whoops in the post-race press conference, and he said they're completely different, completely different than they were in qualifying in the heat, and we can't replicate them. We, the way those whoops were the last 10 laps of a 450 main event you can't test for that, but Eli Tomac has tested over the fact that he's been in this class 10 years, and he's been in that situation in the main event over and over. So what we saw in the whoops is backed up by the data. Daniel, I want you to go head and heart here with the sand. Eli started doubling around the outside. Sexton almost crashed around the outside. He went safe on the inside, and that was the end. Well, Jason, what it looked like to me is Sexton was trying to find a way to survive the sand. Tomac was trying to find a way to get better in it, and once he found it, it was pretty much game over in that section. That's what it looked like to me. Okay, that's our breakdown. We've given you Sexton versus Tomac from all the angles. Thanks for that, Clinton. And be sure to continue to watch this YouTube channel. We'll have some extras on here, and we'll talk 250 rookies and get inside the numbers with Clinton as well. But for now, thanks. Okay, that's going to do it for this edition of SMX Insider. But we've got the SMX Insider pre-race show coming your way live on Peacock, 6.30 Eastern Saturday with myself, James Stewart, and Daniel on the desk to break it down before we go racing at 7 p.m. Eastern. And there'll be a re-air of the racing at 4 o'clock Eastern on Sunday on NBC. Some good exposure for the sport there. Now, normally our show would be over right now, Daniel, but no, last chance. Let's get the highlight of the night from Houston in here with the 450 LCQ. They never let us down, these privateer animals, to make the main. Here's a replay on Norin, seat number 11. Kyle Chisholm, he's going to go up the inside, oh. going for broke. All bets are off on the last corner. And he has he to kickstart it. it. He's kickstarted. And then Alex Ray, he was oh. in transfer position. He hits the handlebars of Freddie Norin. John Short makes it in. Well, for John Short, that was awesome. For Kyle Chisholm, you let 
all of us down. You are chiz. You are supposed to chiz no matter what. It's always supposed to work. I had faith the entire LCQ. And then Jason, he's outside of the top four. No chiz for chiz, and I can't believe it. And then Alex Ray, I was on a text thread with Alex Ray and his buddy Cade Clayson. Clayson keeps showing Alex Ray this clip over and over on his phone to make fun of him. And then A-Ray answers back with the clip of Cade Clayson going into the net in the LCQ San Diego. This is what life is like in these privateer trenches. It's hilarious. It's awesome. We'll cover it every week. Be sure to tune in 6.30 for our SMX Insiders pre-race show on Peacock Saturday night from Tampa. He's Daniel. I'm Jason. We'll see you then.